So this is a series that we've been two or three weeks into called The Jesus Stories, and uh, thank you folks, we seem to be enjoying that, lots of uh, you know, kind comments. And uh, this week, I, I want to sort of continue this, this kind of, um, it, it's, it's not an introduction, it's kind of a, a framework that we're working to. We're looking at the, uh, and we're not going to be doing this all the time, next a couple of weeks' time, uh, uh, Mark's going to speak, and I know he's visiting John's Gospel and various other places, and then Rich is going to speak. But uh, I'm, I'm looking at Luke, and the reason I'm looking at Luke is that, uh, uh, that there's something about Luke's storytelling that I absolutely love and can relate to. That it's not just that he has a real heart for the weak and the insignificant, uh, it, it's, he has a heart for the the grand vision too. He can hold the big thing, big picture and the little picture hand in hand. It's not just that he, that he seems to have a, a, a soft spot for women. Now I hope I have a soft spot for women, but for him in his culture, women were very much second class citizens and yet he seems to notice and he tells the stories of Jesus' sensitivity and his, his, uh, you know, his, his kindness towards women, always affirming them, always building them up, always, always kind of taking time, and we're going to see a little bit of that this morning, to, uh, you know, to, to listen to their needs. Uh, I, I hope that we're a church that does that. Uh, you know, send your postcards to Dennis. <laughs> Uh, but, but Jesus and, and, and Luke, you know, has that thing. And then Luke, of course, is a doctor. And he, so he's interested very much so in the healing ministry of Jesus. But as I said right at the beginning of this, uh, my, my portion of this, he's writing to Theophilus, a Greek, a Greek um, aristocrat, probably. And he's telling the story of Jesus. And he presents it as, I just want you to know the facts. You know, you can make up your own mind. But the way he constructs it is so clever, because basically throughout Acts, uh, sorry, throughout Luke, and to some degree Acts, although to a lesser degree, he's asking a question. There is a subtext, and the subtext is this: Who is Jesus, really? And he presents it in such a way that he draws the the hearer in, he draws the reader in, and, and he he sets things up so we start asking that question: Who is Jesus? And uh, uh, Matt, I'm really sorry about that. Matt is our AV. Has a, give Matt a big round of applause. He's, he's our head, heads up our AV thing. I already set, sent the script in very late, and so I've, already, I've got to sort of buy him a bunch of flowers or a pint of beer at the end of the service to get his good books. But I'm probably going to jump around a bit, but I'll, I'll try not to uh, mess you up too much, Matt. But... Uh, yeah, so, so what he does is he sets it up so we are intrigued, we are drawn in. And, uh, and that is, that, that's his device to get us asking questions. Now, last week, you know, we, thus far, we've, 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 we've made a few statements. We've come to a few conclusions, if you like. We've, dis, we, we've come to the conclusion that Jesus is Lord over evil. Jesus is Lord over evil. We're going to revisit that a little bit today. He's Lord over Satan. Jesus is Lord over sickness. Jesus is, is Lord. Actually, you'll have to do a little bit of investigative work yourself to find this. He's Lord of the Sabbath. Now, that's less significant, or so it would seem to us, but it was very significant in Jewish culture. So you can do a little bit of investigative work. 
I haven't, I'm afraid, the time to unpack that, but you can search that one out where, 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 where Jesus actually says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And that was a really controlling factor in, in the community life. The Sabbath was everything. But Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And then last week, we, we told a little story about uh, where Jesus... Where, 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 in fact, it's, it, it's beautifully written. Luke, Luke gets the Pharisees. He, he reports the Pharisees and scribes saying, who does this man think he is? Who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. Because he's in the middle of a healing where he begins by saying, son, your sins are forgiven. And that really rankles them. But actually what happens then is that Jesus turns to them, knowing their thoughts, knowing what they're thinking, and whispering to one another. He says, can I ask you a question? And he said, what's easier to do? To say, your sins are forgiven? Or rise up and walk? Well, it's a bit of a no-brainer. Anybody can say your sins are forgiven. But then he says, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins... He turns to the man and he says, get up and walk. And the bloke jumps up. Wow. And the crowd went wild. Everybody go like that. You find it quite freeing, really. <laughs> Apparently, Ritz Stateler doesn't think so. No. <laughs> so that's where we're up to in this. And what, what Luke is doing, he's begun with, I suppose, that which was fairly well known. That Jesus was a great teacher that Jesus, many thought, was a prophet, that Jesus was a wonder worker, and there were many wonder workers in that day, and there are many wonder workers today. Uh, but suddenly, we seem to be transitioning into, into something else, where this is getting really interesting now, because we've gone past you know, that which is relatively familiar, relatively well-known, and now we're entering into the whole business of God's stuff. Forgiveness of sins, and we will end up there this morning. So, okay, I want to uh, just uh, turn, uh, I think I've got it on the script, uh, Isaiah 49, verse 2. I'm going to start in a slightly unusual place before we get into Luke. And uh, Isaiah 49, verse 2, and it says this. It says this about the Messiah, Isaiah wrote this hundreds of years before Christ. And Isaiah 49, verse 6, says this about the one who is to come, the Jewish Messiah, who is Jesus. It says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So this Messiah, this long-awaited Messiah, believed and, and hoped and promised as the Jewish Messiah, the Messiah, the deliverer for the Jewish nation. Isaiah predicts or prophesies that actually he's not going to be just the, the Jews' Messiah. He's going to be everyone's Messiah, everyone's Savior, everyone's deliverer. And what Luke now does in the, in, from about... Chapter 8 onwards, he begins to transition. He begins to, to, to position Jesus in that place where he's not just dealing with Jews. 
Matthew's gospel, his account of the works of Jesus is very centered on the works of Jesus and the mission to the Jews. Continual references to prophetic readings and all the rest of it relating to the Jews. But Luke, who has this heart for the Gentiles, he begins to draw the reader into a new and a strange place for many of the readers at that day. That actually this Jesus is for the world. This Jesus is to be a light to the Gentiles. So anyway, let's uh, begin then. And uh, we're going to start with a relatively familiar story. We'll look at uh, Luke chapter 8, uh, beginning at verse 22. I just need to have a little cough. Okay. And uh, it's, uh, in my Bible, it says, Jesus calms the storm. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got up into the boat, um, they, got, they got into a boat and set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a squall came down on the lake, so the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. And the disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and the storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Now, two or three things I want to draw out of that just before we move on, and there's a fair amount of ground I want to cover this morning. First of all, he says, let's go to the other side of the lake. Well, that immediately gives you a clue about where Jesus is going, because he's been operating on the Jewish side of Galilee. He's going over to the other side. That is actually Gentile territory. It's pagan territory. It's the land of Decapolis, the ten, uh, t- 10 Greek cities. It's the place where uh, Jesus is actually going to do an absolutely remarkable miracle uh, deliverance in just a moment or two. And so they're, they're headed towards enemy territory. And so they set out and Jesus falls asleep. And then this great squall, this great wind, this storm breaks out and they're in danger of dying. Drowning. These guys were used to life on the lake. They knew when they were in danger or not. And quite frankly, if you were to go out with them, they would have a far greater tolerance. I mean, I would probably be being seasick and wanting to struggle to the shore in, in something that they wouldn't even think twice about. But when they say, we're in danger of drowning, you better believe they're in danger of drowning. And Jesus is asleep. They wake him up. And... I love the word here. I mentioned this earlier on. It says that uh, he uh, woke up, he got up, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and the storm subsided and all was calm. That word rebuked, epitomeo in the Greek, as I say, I don't typically like doing this kind of preaching, but that word, epitomeo, rebuked, it's the same word, epitomeo, that Jesus did when he rebuked the demon at the beginning when he rebuked uh, Peter's mother-in-law's fever, it's the word you use when you slap something down. And this gives us a little bit of a clue as to the nature of this storm. This storm, and I'm not saying that every storm is demonically inspired. Our Lord God is the Lord of all creation. 
But it's interesting because in Ephesians chapter two, verse two, Paul refers to Satan as the prince of the air, of the kingdom of the air. Now this is a little bit kind of erudite, a little bit kind of obscure, but, but just work with me on this. So, so this storm, Jesus treats as being demonically inspired. Basically, he struggles to his feet, he wipes his eyes, he looks over the thing and he says, shut up! Just like your neighbor when you come back a bit too raucously at three in the morning. The windows, neck curtains twitch, the windows fly open and somebody shouts, shut up! And Jesus leans over the side of the boat and says, shut up! And the wind goes, <laughs> or something like that. What do you think the wind looks like when it stops? Sort of like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, what, Jenna, what do you think it looks like? Give us a little, you're a bit of an arty person. Give, what, stand up and give us a little. <laughs> These guys did a great job yesterday with our Alpha Group. They had so much fun. The stuff that's going on in the Alpha Group. God bless you guys. Absolutely. Give them a little round of applause. <laughs> Wonderful. Anyway, it stops, and it, you know, and the, the disciples, boy, are they on a steep learning curve. You know, they started with this, this guy who they thought was a, a really hot teacher-preacher, you know, the new guy in town, the sort of alternative comic kind of thing, you know, the sort of fringe rabbi type, and they're all it's really cool and really hip, and they're on the road with him, and then he starts doing this stuff, and whoa, that's pretty cool. And, th- and now he's, he's, he's shouting at the storm, and it does what he says. Not surprisingly, it says, uh, they say, who is this man? But he gives them a little rebuke. He says, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Well, if I was in a great big storm like that, I mean, I would be fearful, wouldn't I? And I've often wondered about this. And many, many commentators have, have, have wondered about this. And, and the fact of the matter is that Jesus, I think the best answer most people have is why, why Jesus rebuked them because you know, we are built to, to flee from danger, and these guys knew they were in danger. But Jesus gives them short shrift. I like to visualize, you know, Jesus almost sort of muttering as he plumps his cushion and lies back down in the boat, you know. But the reason he says that, I think, and most, many people think, is that he said, we're going to the other side of the lake. And I've had to sort of hold on to that kind of thing, that kind of statement, you know. What did God say to us, you know? What did God say to us? When, when Felicity and I first started the church with the kids and, and a few months in and we, we were just exhausted, we were running th- two and a half jobs each and uh, two, jobs, two and a half jobs and, and then doing the church and we were just exhausted and we'd run out of money and everything and we were ready to jack it in, but it was a case of what did God say? And God said, go to St. Albans and plow the church. And you have to make a decision. You can panic, you can flee, you can run home crying, although there was no home to run home to because we'd burnt our boats, basically. But basically, you have to remember, you have to, you know, this is why I love journaling. And I, I, you know, I do it sort of sporadically, but I do encourage you to write down the things that God has said to you. I mean, I, there's, there's folk in this church who I've been praying with about issues in their life for 25 years, and it's still not resolved yet. Sometimes it really is a long haul. But the truth of the matter is, if God said it, well, then it will be. So hang on in there. 
if, if Jesus has said something's going to happen, and if Jesus said he would establish us in this city, well, he would establish us in this city. If Jesus said we would get these buildings done, we would get these buildings done. If Jesus said he would fill this place to overflowing, well, he's going to fill this place to overflowing. I mean, we just have to, we, we, we can either, you know, either this is a walk of faith and we follow Christ closely, or we might as well just top ourselves now and go home because quite frankly, I don't see any point in doing it otherwise, you know. You know, what is the point? It's just too much aggravation. So Jesus said, we're going to the other side. Next minute, the guys are running around like headless chickens saying, we're all going to die, we're all going to die. And he says, where's your faith, man? Don't succumb to fear. Don't give in to fear. Repent of fear. And embrace faith. And just say, I'm going to trust you. Come hell or high water, I'm going to trust you. And just hold on to the promises of God. Okay. So they're on their way to Gentile territory. I'm going to paraphrase the next thing, and then we'll read up the last story. Excuse me. So uh, they land, and many of you know this story, and uh, this crazed demoniac guy comes charging down the beach towards them. I mean, the blokes are already a bit jittery. I mean, boy, that's just like the journey, and they get out, and they think, you know. Quick, get back in the boat. Let's go home, you know. You know, what a journey they've had, you know. And then this, this bloke comes charging down, and he's, he's formidable. And the script, you know, Luke tells us that this guy had a bit of a reputation. He wasn't just any old demoniac. This is a guy who had been chained and bound and hand and foot and basically put out of, this, out of the community because he was too hot to handle and yet he would snap these things and he would, you know, gash himself. I mean, he was a scary dude. Anyway, he comes running down the beach. And this, of course, remember this, it's in Gentile territory. It's in Gentile ter- territory. This is the land of the pagans. This is not the land, these aren't, these aren't Jewish demons we're dealing with. These are the nasty ones. These are the pagan demons, you know, the horrible ones. <laughs> da, da, da. Anyway, this guy comes hurtling down towards Jesus on the beach. And if I remember the text correctly, he falls at Jesus' feet and he says, Do not cast us. What do you want with the Son of God? Are you going to kind of destroy us again? You remember a couple of weeks ago I taught about that? 1 John. 1 John. 1 John. 1 verse 8 B, 1 chapter John, 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 B, that's right, got it. Um, the reason the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the enemy. And so the, the, these demons, and it turns out there are multiple demons, start screaming at Jesus, you know, do not cast us out into the abyss, do not cast us out. They know what Jesus is about to do. The man hadn't run down the beach, say, do come home for tea, you know. This, this, this was a full-on power encounter with a pagan demoniac. And, and so what happens is that, that Jesus, you know, he says to these guys, he says, come out. And he's, he's speaking to them and the, the, the demons are screaming at him. Jesus says, what's he called? He says, legion, because there are many of us. And they beg they begged Jesus to send him not into the abyss, 
run into a, a, a herd of pigs that are being tended on the, the hillside. Again, another, you know you're not in Jewish territory. Pigs are unclean animals to Jews. Anyway, Jesus gives them permission. And they leave the man, sort of slumps at the ground. And the demons rush into these pigs. And the pigs go in this kind of crazed frenzy. And they run down the hillside and throw themselves off a small cliff into the water. And they all drown. I mean, this is quite a considerable, uh, quite a considerable uh, event. And the man is left absolutely kind of uh, in his right senses. So anyway, news quickly spreads. The villagers come out to see him, and they, 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 they're piecing together the story. First of all, they see this guy who is well-known, in his right mind, and, and not naked, but dressed. And then there's the swine herds, you know, the pig carers, who are saying... We, don't, we were just minding our own business. We could see something going down on the beach and the man was sort of screaming as usual. Next thing we know, the, hit, the pigs go crazy and they all tumble into the, the water. They go headlong into the water. And it's absolute pandemonium. And a serious power encounter has taken place in Gentile territory. Now the subtext here is, just to let you in on the secret, Luke is writing this for Theophilus a wealthy, influential Greek guy. He is curious about Jesus, the Messiah of the Jews. He's inquiring about Jesus, who is the Messiah of the Jews. Now Luke has drawn him into this place where Jesus is not just Lord of the Jews, but Jesus is Lord of the Gentiles. You know this thing I'm telling you about how Luke, through his storytelling, is drawing us and drawing Theophilus into that place where it's no longer, this is a very interesting, just let me know, I've heard a bit about it, just tell me, you were there, weren't you? tell me about that, I'd love to hear that story. Suddenly it's getting very, very personal. Suddenly it's getting in your face. Jesus is Lord over creation, Jesus is Lord over demons, and not just Jewish demons, but pagan ones too, Gentile ones. Now, interestingly enough, in the Gospels, we generally find when Jesus does something remarkable, the crowds just crank up. And by, uh, I've said it before, and Jesus is in this place now where, where, where he cannot go anywhere without huge crowds following Jewish crowds gathering around. And when he heals someone, he tends to try and do it, you know, whereas he began with healing everyone and all who came. It becomes more specific as time goes on. He takes people aside to heal them. And very often he will say to them, after he has healed them, he'll say to them, you know, don't tell anyone about this, please. Don't tell them that I've, that I've healed you. Why? Because it's already getting impossible for him to move around. Now we're in Gentile territory. What does Jesus tell the man? Speak it out. Go and tell everyone. We're in Gentile territory. 
Jesus says to the man, go and tell everyone what God has done for you. Go and tell everyone. This is a different kettle of fish. Go and tell everyone. But what is the people's response? Interesting. Let me just see if I can find it. Verse 32 in chapter 8. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes, this is where this has all been taking place, asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. Excuse me. So what's happening here is that, you see, the Jews have this mentality, they're all looking for the Messiah, and the big question that is going around, although they're not, very few people, if any, know quite what the Messiah will be like, the thing is that the Jews, when they see Jesus prophesying and teaching and healing the sick, you know, the people of the land, as they were called rather disparagingly by the Pharisees and scribes, they're saying, is this the Messiah? They've got a context for a person who does something like this. And they're excited, because, and that's why they're following, because they think Jesus might be the Messiah. But in Gentile territory, they have no history of that. They have no background. There's no, there's no myth or legend that some great deliverer is going to come. They have a whole, lo- whole host of other stories and, and, you know, of the gods and what they get up to. And suddenly this bloke arrives on their beach, who's casting out demons, who's you know, ruining their economy, who's et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know. And their response is fear. Leave us. Leave us. Now, I just want to pause there. Uh, from personal experience, I have, uh, over the years, witnessed to many, many people about my faith in Jesus Christ. And I have often met a particular kind of person who's ambivalent, pleasant, not threatened, not, not, you know, just kind of interested, and uh, they'll sort of ask a few polite questions, and I'll try and answer those politely. And then time goes on, and, uh, and they, they get drawn in a little bit. Maybe they'll come to church once or twice, or they'll maybe do an alpha or something like that. And all of a sudden, something happens. Suddenly, the Jesus that they heard of and that they can keep well, 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 well at arm's length suddenly is in their face. Suddenly, what was a historical, you know, Jesus is a historical figure, that is well known. What, somebody who was a historical figure and many people, you know, believe in him as a Christian and aren't they childish, suddenly something happens. Suddenly they they, 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 they have an encounter or they have an experience or, or, or something happens where suddenly this Jesus is up close and personal. And at that point, just when I'm thinking, yes, way to go, God, they disappear. They disappear. They're filled with fear that this could be true, and they know they don't want anything to do with it now. Politeness and courtesy goes out the window, not that they're rude, they just don't pick up the phone or answer my emails. If we should meet in some social context later on, they're cool and aloof and just most superficial of pleasantries. You know, one of my, I have three girls, three daughters, you know, who are, 
grown up now. I remember one of, one of my daughter's boyfriends wasn't a follower of Jesus, and she uh, took him along to Alpha, and uh, he seemed to enjoy it. Just thinking about Alpha because these guys here, and, and yet all of a sudden, it, it was quite obvious that, that Jesus was beginning to break through, that he was beginning to understand that this was more than the realm of myth and legend. And at that point, he was filled with fear and he stopped coming. They don't want Jesus. And fear is the enemy of faith. They embraced their fears and abandoned faith. That's why fear is such a, a dangerous thing in the, in the people of God. And I said in a minute or two, we're gonna, we are just going to minister into that. Let's read on. Let's see if I can do one more little section before we, we, we pray. Okay. So, moving on. Uh, and this, this uh, again, in terms of the construction, the, the way Luke has written this book, there's, he tends to put these kind of, these, these, these healing stories, and there used to be, tends to be a sort of a, a creation one, a lord over creation, lord over demons, and a lord over sickness, bundled together, and then there'll be a block of teaching. And then there'll be another that thing, because he's, he's trying to sow this Jesus is Lord of you, Theophilus. You know, they just kind of get us into that point. So anyway, here we have this thing. We'll see if we can get through this. Otherwise, I'm going to be woefully behind next week. Verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, back in Israel now, a crowd welcomed him. You see, they welcomed him in Israel. They're trying to turf him out of, of Gentile territory. For they were all expecting him. And then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. And as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Here we have this crowd problem which I'm talking about. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Typically, and it's kind of in other, it seems to be some kind of gynae problem. I mean, that's the sort of general um, expectation, which was not only debilitating, but it also made her unclean. Uh, ritually unclean, but no one could heal her. And she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding in and pressing against us. You know, they're sort of in these narrow streets, they're all jostling, and suddenly Jesus stops and says, who touched me? Like, everybody's touching everybody. It's, it's ridiculous, you know. You know, everybody is pressing in. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, bless her heart, came trembling and fell at his feet. She was hoping because of her condition, because of what that condition meant to her socially, to do this secretly. It wasn't a kind of, you know, can I have an appointment, Jesus? You know, when surgery opened, can, I, can you get to... This it was something she wanted kind of to do quietly. But now she realizes that she's in trouble, or so she thinks. She came trembling and fell at his feet, and in the presence of all the people, boy, now she blurts it out, and everybody knows. She told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, and this word is, is carefully chosen, he says, daughter, not outcast, not how dare you, what do you think you're doing? Or you're a woman and you're unclean and you presume to touch me. That would have been, you know, the justifiable response. 
what he says to her is daughter. That's a relational thing. Daughter, your faith has healed you. You put your faith in the right person. You know, we may be subject to all sorts, all manner of fears and difficulties and challenges. We must put our trust in Jesus. That's the place to present it. Verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. And she will be healed. Boy, this ought to be good. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. You know, there's this sort of Middle East, and we see it, still see it in that, those cultures. You know, uh, in a village, when a small town, when somebody dies, it's a, it's, it's a community event. In fact, if you're a bit light on relatives, you can hire a renter crowd that will come and weep and wail for you. You know, all hell breaks loose. You know, it's all... You know, that's, that's the culture. And he says, Jesus says, stop wailing. She's not dead but asleep. <laughs> and they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. This is an interesting one, isn't it? Maybe she was asleep. Maybe Jesus knew that she was asleep and wasn't dead. Those cultures, though, know when someone's dead. You know, we, we, we aren't in touch with death in quite the same way. I, I know that we have people sitting here this morning who've been very in touch with death within the last two or three weeks. We're praying for you. You've lost loved ones. But we don't see dead bodies. The first time I ever saw a dead body, I think I was 27. And it shocked me. I've not come across one before. We're not in touch with death. These cultures know death. They know how to deal with death. And when they say someone's dead, generally they're right. So they said, Jesus is, they said the woman's dead. And they laughed at him, knowing, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. And her spirit returned. Now there's a clue. Verse 55, her spirit returned. Therefore, I think she was dead. Her spirit returned, and once she stood up, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat, and her parents were astonished. Isn't this interesting? But he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Back in Jerusalem, back in Israel, telling the Jews, keep it quiet, keep it, please really keep it quiet. Now we're transitioning here. We're in this sort of, I, was, I want to say twilight zone, because you know what I mean, but it's not twilight zone. We're coming into the sunlight zone. We're moving from the commonly held belief that Jesus was a miracle worker, wonder worker, and all the rest of it, into this place that Luke is carefully leading us, where we're beginning to realize that Jesus is something else. Forgiving sins last week, raising the dead this week. Wow, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? I've got one more talk to deliver in this little mini-series next week. We'll continue that next week. But I want us all to stand and pray. Can I have the, the worship team up? We're going to do a bit of ministry for a minute. But let's have the worship team back up. <laughs>